HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Juul, sous vide by Chef Steps. Juul takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. The topic? Restaurants and rules. Some rules are based on religion. This makes for an unusual scene in a Manhattan restaurant, a shy 20-year-old dictating the kitchen standards to a humble veteran chef. While other rules promote health and safety. But who are these feared rule keepers with the power to shut a restaurant down? They're not really like food, food lovers. Some restaurant rules fall outside the domain of the kitchen. All civil rights issues have basically, uh, at one point or another, revolved around the bathroom. For more, tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, this is Lisa Held coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. So today I'm here with Yemi Amu, the farmer and co-founder of Oko Farms, an urban aquaponics farm right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Welcome, Yemi. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm glad um, you're, you're probably um, the closest guest I've ever had on the show. You're farming like within blocks of exactly. this location, yeah. right? 10 minute walk at the most. Amazing. <laughs> um, so, and and not only are you close by, but um, I don't think um, we've had any conversations on the Farm Report this season that involve fish. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to get into this, um, to hear what you're doing, especially since, since I think there's a perception, um, for some good reasons that we'll get into, that farmed fish is generally bad for the environment. Mm-hmm. And um, I think... It's obviously more complicated than that, and it really depends on the method. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your approach um, is is one approach of many, and um, we're going to dive into what that is. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's actually, before we um, get to Oko Farms, um, let's start with your background a little bit. How did you first get into farming? Oof. Well, in I grew up in Nigeria, and I think in like... Seventh and eighth and ninth grade. I can't remember now. It's been so long. (laughs) (laughs) I had agricultural science as part of my school curriculum. Do all schools have that in Nigeria? 
Like in the public school system? You know, it was a private school. Uh. Um, but I think it's optional. Mm. It's like one of those optional classes that you, you take. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of took it because, you know, I don't know. I just took it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a lot of it was like boring because it was like science stuff in the classroom. Um, but then aspects of it were fun because we had like a school. We didn't even call it a school garden. We didn't call it anything. We just had plots of land in the back of the school where we grew stuff and got graded on it. Mm. So I had that experience as a child. Right. Um, we also had chickens and rabbits. So it was just something that I was like, it was so familiar mm-hmm. to me. Um, and then um, after I moved here, I was... Um, Working as a nutrition educator, a culinary educator, and I was working at a housing facility in Crown Heights. It was a permanent housing for formerly homeless, mentally ill adults. Okay. And I was hired to be an organic chef, um, to cook several meals a week, and also to do nutritional counseling with the clients and also cooking classes with the clients. And my focus was just on hands-on stuff, like how do I get people comfortable in the kitchen? How do I people get excited? going food shopping Mm. and learning how to read labels and um, navigating the farmer's market, just navigating the complexities of a supermarket and farmer's market. Um, Unfortunately, with my clients, because they were also mentally ill, that was just too much. Like, they don't want to deal with the supermarkets and those horrible bright lights. (laughs) I mean, that's it's hard to get anyone to engage in conversations like that, right? That kind of training, right? Let alone, yeah, right. So it was like, a, you're asking me to like leave my house, which I don't want to do because I don't want to be around people. Mm. And then the supermarket is just like people. Um, And then we didn't have healthy food options in the neighborhood itself. So it meant my clients would have to leave the neighborhood. Right. And then there was also the fact that they were on limited income, right? So it's like, A, I'm on limited income, and then I have to, like, go into neighborhoods outside of my neighborhood to buy food, and it's probably going to cost more. So, no, I don't want to do it. Yeah, and and going out of the neighborhood costs more. Exactly. Exactly, right? Um, And these are all just, like, naturally human things, but also things that a lot of people take for granted when they talk about healthy eating. Mm -hmm. It's like so much of it is on the individual without also thinking about the environments in which the individual exists. It should not be hard to get access to, to food, right? But it, it is. Mm-hmm. Even now, for me, I still leave my neighborhood. Um, I live in Bed-Stuy, mm-hmm. and the closest supermarket to me has organic stuff, but it's so expensive. Yeah. So it makes more sense for me to like leave the neighborhood to buy food, and it's annoying to have to do that. Not only annoying, and it's like you want to support your neighborhood, exactly. and you want to get, you know, right? You and it's stressful, your, but, too, right. to have to go so far. I wish I could just walk to the supermarket and not have to plan Mm -hmm. to go, you know, somewhere else. Um, So what I wanted to do was just make fresh food accessible for my clients without having it to be something they have to think about. Um, And the best way to do that was just to make it available. And I'm talking to my coworkers who are case managers and we were going back and forth. And then one of the case managers was like, you know, the roof was built to be a green roof. Could we grow vegetables on the roof? I think we should explore that. And then that's how my journey started. You were like, there's no good food, so we're just going to produce it. We're just (laughs) going to produce it. And I was like, okay, let's go. How do we do this? And um, around that time, one of the clients passed away, um, and we took his bed, took it apart, took the parts into the roof, and rebuilt it into a garden, into a raised bed. That's crazy. (laughs) Um, Put soil in it, and that's how it started. Um, And... I think this was in like 20, 2009. 
And by 2011, we had a full-scale rooftop farm Mm. growing vegetables. And so all of the the vegetables, the meals I was preparing for for the clients were coming from the roof. Wow. Um, And I was also doing, like, a lot of my nutritional counseling with the clients on the roof. Um, And then it wasn't, like, nutritional counseling anymore. It was just, like, you're hanging out on the roof, right? Mm. And they're helping me garden and um, they're like, okay, you know, before I leave, I'm going to take some carrots. I'm going to take some, you know, uh, collard greens and I'm going to take this. And they take it with them and they cook it. Like, there's no need for me to tell you to eat healthy anymore. Because right. it's right there. Like, you're, we're, we're doing this together. I'm not telling you what to do. Yeah. Right? Like, there's a shift in thinking yeah. almost. Yeah. Right. And it's there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, if everyone was in, inundated with fresh vegetables the way we're inundated with, like, candy... Or like chips, you know? Yeah. The reality is it's still easier to get chips than it is to get like good tasting carrots. It's right. just what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't blame someone for not wanting to eat who, who, who picks potato chips over um, some wilty looking lettuce or some terrible tasting carrots. Like it doesn't taste good. Why do you want me to eat it? Yeah. Right? Um, but if you make it accessible, then people will make different choices and you don't have to preach to people or talk down to people or make people feel like they're idiots for not like, right. you know, for going for healthier food options. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, does that farm, that rooftop farm, is that still in operation? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so then you presumably left that yeah. and then created I, Oko. Yeah, yeah. So I discovered aquaponics when I was on the roof. Mm. Um, one of the, one of the beautiful things that the roof did was also create community. Um, because the, the, the neighborhood members of the community didn't want that building up. They didn't want like quote unquote crazy people in their neighborhood and fought having that building, um, set up. Mm. Um, so the roof was kind of a way to get people in the community to come into the building and interact with the clients and see, Hey, they're just, Mm. they're regular folk. They're just like you and I, um, so that was like a really cool thing because once the farm went up, everyone in the community was like, oh my God, it's a rooftop farm. We want to go, mm-hmm. you know, we want to go on the rooftop farm and volunteer. So we were taking um, volunteers from the community. Again, it's also great for our residents to like interact with people in mm-hmm. a safe environment. Um, so one of the community residents who I ended up starting Oko Farms with um, was one day he was like, have you ever heard of aquaponics? And I was like, mm I've heard of hydroponics. Uh, yeah, I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I didn't say hydro. I said aquaponics. He was like, there's fish. And I went, what? Okay. <laughs> like that, that, that caught my um, attention because I was like, wait a minute. He was like, think about it. Like you can, you can grow vegetables and also fish for your clients. How cool would that be? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that sounds really dope. Like in Nigeria, I had a neighbor who was raising fish. Mm. So I wasn't like completely, I grew up in Lagos, which is like a city. Right. It is a city, not like it absolutely is a city. Um, so I, the concept of, of raising fish in an urban environment was new to me. It was the fact that I could do it on a roof, which sounded inc- like, what? That's nuts. <laughs> and then the fact that I, was, I would be able to use the water from raising the fish mm. to also grow vegetables that was the part that got me because it was like that's so cool so instead of having to like throw all this water away which is what typical fish farming involves where like waste builds up and then you um have to 
you're just polluting the environment with all that nitrate buildup, mm-hmm. right? All that nitrogen buildup, which is what the waste ends up being in ammonia. Mm-hmm. And you're dumping it out into the environment. Instead of doing that, you're recycling it to grow vegetables. And then, like, you don't ever have to think about watering your plants. It just sounded like exactly what I should be doing. <laughs> and um, that's how my journey with aquaponics started. And I just started to read more about it. And um, I was fascinated with it just from the perspective, like, why is this something that people aren't doing more of? Mm-hmm. And is it really sustainable? And is it not? And what are the advantages and disadvantages? And how do you actually make it work? Yeah. And I went on that journey. Um, and Oko Farms is part of that journey. It's like me showing people how it works, but figuring it out too. Right. Along the way. Yeah. Did you, so you were kind of starting from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go do like a training? How did you actually? I did. Yeah. I, did I did a training um, with an organization called Morningstar Fishermen mm-hmm. in Florida. Okay. Um, I discovered them. I went to the first aquaponics association conference, which was like really cool meeting all these people who do aquaponics. Mm. And then I met some people from Running Star Fishermen there. Um, and I chose to study with them because they focus on making aquaponics as- accessible to people. Um, I'd been trying to study aquaponics on my own and it seemed so like complicated and like this thing that, I don't know, isn't something that the average person can do. And I love that Morning Star um, not only teach people aquaponics, but go into places around the world that have limited access to resources and doing aquaponics there. Mm. And that spoke to me just from my background in working in communities that need access to fresh food but don't necessarily have um, resources. Right. And that was what attracted me to them. And I spent four weeks um, living on their farm and studying. And then I think I spent the next year and a half just traveling and visiting other aquaponics farms around the country. Interesting. So... Fast forward to Oko Farms. Now mm-hmm. you're running Oko Farms. Yeah. Um, can you kind of paint a picture of what it looks like today? Like what you're producing? Um, just get, you know, kind of give people a visual sure. of like, with the operation. Cool. Today it's cold, so there's not much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, right. Um, I guess this there's, year. <laughs> yeah, this year. Yeah. I mean, the, the fish are there and they're doing their thing, and I have some, you know, perennial stuff that's there. So mm-hmm. it's not completely empty. But um, yeah, we raise a variety of freshwater fish, um, and it changes every year. So I always have goldfish and koi. To me, they're like the standard. Um, we don't eat them, um, but you can't. My friend told me that, um, my Japanese friend said in World War II, people were actually, in Japan, were eating their ko- were eating koi because mm. people were going hungry. Mm. And that people would also break into, like, rich people's homes <laughs> oh my, and take, yeah. and take huh. their koi. Because <laughs> it's, it's food. Yeah, right? yeah. They're carp, really. Right. They're just, like, a um, pretty version of carp. Mm. So we always do goldfish and koi, um, channel catfish, um, which I have now. Um, bluegill, which I also have. Um, I've done freshwater prawns in the past. I've done tilapia in the past. Uh, Don't do tilapia anymore. Um, Just because we're an outdoor farm, um, being outdoors is really important to me because, again, that's part of the accessibility piece. Mm -hmm. And tilapia is a tropical fish that doesn't do well in New York City climate. So Mm -hmm. I just don't do tilapia at all. Um, And then on the crop side, we do a huge um, variety of crops. Everything from tomatoes to chilies to lemongrass to rice to sorghum, leafy greens, 
peas, beans, um, carrots. Like just, you know, a mm. really wide variety. And I'm always discovering what can be grown in aquaponics. Um, most of my experiences before farming myself aquaponically, I just saw people doing leafy greens, specifically basil. Yeah. And lettuce. That's true in hydroponics, yeah, too. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Is it just the easiest thing to grow? Yeah. Yeah. It's the easiest. Is also, like, from a economic perspective, there's a faster turnaround. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And also, people are doing it indoors. Right. <laughs> so when you're doing indoor production, you're also limited. I mean, you're not growing corn inside. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it just, what you can do indoors is also very limited from what you can do outside, because you have a whole ecosystem outside that does not exist um, those grow lights, I think people are still discovering what grow. You know, mm-hmm. I don't. You can't. I don't know about right. Maybe you can do rice indoors. <laughs> I, no, I have no idea. I'll right. have to have a rice. Right. <laughs> so it's like those things that makes them do. It's like the economics perspective. You can have like quick turnaround products where you can get your lettuce out every thirty days, mm-hmm. um, and then the lights and the the environment also makes it conducive for growing those types of things. But mm-hmm. when you're outside, it gives you a lot more options. So. I'm discovering on my own what's positive, what's possible Mm -hmm. um, by like testing out crops. And then I also go on like, I go on the internet and I look at people who are in places like Malaysia who are doing aquaponics and looking at what they're doing and Mm -hmm. getting my inspiration from them about what's possible. So they're doing garlic. Okay, I should try garlic. They're doing ginger. Okay, I should do ginger. Like you find more people who are practicing aquaponics in their backyards, Mm -hmm. growing more interesting stuff than people who are doing it commercially. Huh. And so for someone who doesn't know a lot about aquaponics, Mm -hmm. um, you've got the fish that Mm -hmm. you just described. You've Mm -hmm. got the crops you just described. Can you um, just give a sort of like explanation of how those work together? Like what, how does the actual system work? work? Okay. So aquaponics essentially is a symbiotic ecosystem between fish, plants, and microbes. Um, So you can, it also happens in the ocean, but the way that we practice it, is a little bit different. So you have fish and they're living their lives and they're producing waste. They're like, when they breathe out, that's waste. When they pee, it's waste. When they um, poop. Trying to use other words for poop. Defecate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's what they do. synonyms. (laughs) Um, All that is toxic waste to the fish that Mm -hmm. builds up, right? They're living in that water and swimming in that water and all that builds up and eventually it becomes toxic to them. Mm. Um, So instead of throwing that water out, anyone who raises um, fish tanks at home knows this. The water gets dirty and smelly. Um, It's full of ammonia, Basically, that's the chemical component of that waste is ammonia. And then you have um, naturally occurring naturally occurring microbes um, that break down that ammonia and produce as their byproduct um, nitrogen mm. and phosphorus and potassium and all of those nutrients. But, you know, aquaponics people focus on nitrogen a lot because they're growing leafy crops. Right. Yeah, and you need nitrogen for, for leaf, mm-hmm. for leaf production. Um, so... Then the job of your plants is to finish that cleaning up process by taking up that nitrogen that the, bac- the bacteria or microbes um, produce and using that to grow. And what you get as a result is clean water um, for your fish. So on an aquaponics farm, you have the fish in their tank and then you have plants in a different um, area. It could be on top. It could be next to the plants, but they have their own grow bed filled with water. Um, sometimes the grow bed is filled with like rocks or sand, some type of um, soil substitute. 
or it's just water with like floating, some type of floating material to hold the plants up. And then you have irrigation pipes. Mm. And then you have a pump that pushes water from the fish tank through those irrigation pipes to the plant beds and from the plant beds back to the fish tank. So you can think of it as like when I work with kids, I always say think of it as your um, circulatory system where you have your pump putting pushing water, I mean blood, to your body through the veins. One of them. <laughs> veins. And then going back to your heart with the right. arteries. Something like that. I could be wrong. Okay. <laughs> I didn't pay attention in biology. Like the, the general idea. Yeah, the sense. general idea. Yeah. So that's the way it works on an aquaponics farm. Mm. Where it could be like the plants on top. So it's like pushing water from the bottom to the top and then back down. Or the plants are beside it. So you have something that's more like a circular okay. system. But the idea is that um, these naturally occurring bacteria, as long as ammonia is present and the environment is wet, um, they'll show up. And they'll do the job for you. And I've been learning, you know, when I first learned aquaponics, I learned that it was just like these two bacteria that are nutrifying bacteria that you should like focus on. But the more I study, the more I realize that it's like a whole ecosystem of microbes that you will find in soil. So it's like you have mycorrhizal. I never know how to say that word. Mm. <laughs> Network. And you have archaea, which is another form of um, microbial life and mm. protists, which are also another form of microbial life. And then you have um, microbes because these guys, you have the nitrifying bacteria. These guys exist together. They always do, right? Mm. They're networks that exist in soil. They exist in the ocean. They exist everywhere. Even in us, they're like microbial networks. Um, and if you create a good environment and you support the health of a, you support a healthy microbial community, then you can do a lot of beautiful things with aquaponics. Mm. And the thing about aquaponics is that you're recycling water, right? So you're using the same amount of water over and over again instead of throwing it out. And you're building this colony of microbes, right? So the older your farm is or the older your system is, the more diverse populations of microbes you can attract that's so so you're you're really like almost like you build up soil like nutrient density exactly you're building up microbes in the water, water yes and huh. you you need the microbes that um are doing the work of pr producing nutrients but you also want to attract the microbes that are doing that are working directly with the plants mm -hmm. that are hanging out on the plant roots and are supporting the plants ecosystem the plants health uh English words, the plant's immune system, right? Because then you have that, which also happens in soil, right? right? And then you have the microbes that live on the fish's skin, right? And also in the fish's guts and the immune system to protect the fish and keep them healthy. You want to attract all of them. Mm. Because what you cannot, because you're recycling that water in aquaponics, you have to be really careful about what you put in. Um, so I can't say, oh, because I want my fish to be healthy, I'm going to put antibiotics in the water. Right. If I put antibiotics, I'm killing everything uh, <laughs> right right the good microbes the bad microbes it's like all gone so mm. it's this really delicate ecosystem where you're like work you're essentially building this like diverse colony of microbes yeah. and then your plants are great and your fish are great so and when you say the i mean you're just using the same water you're building up the, the microbes in the water i mean do you ever change it? Like, it, <laughs> so how, we, how long we can have, this go on for? Like, well, it depends also on your your the size of mm. your system, right? So another beautiful thing about aquaponics is that it's scalable, right? So mm -hmm. you can have a desktop system, which we do with kids in schools. Oh, so a ten gallon tank, and they grow like a salad bowl. Mm -hmm. um, or you can have our farm, which is like 
2,500 square feet and we have about 10,000 gallons of water, right? Mm-hmm. Because I have that so much water, I'm never going to completely get rid of 10,000 gallons of water. That's mm-hmm. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sometimes maybe we do have to do water changes for some reason. So um, uh, I'm trying to give an example. Like, So I want to redo our beds, mm-hmm. our grow beds, right? There's these two large beds that are um, that take up about 50 by 12 or 13 square foot space on the farm and I want to redo them so that there's a walking path in between um, so that when we have people on the farm they can actually walk through the rows um, instead of this big thing that just like sits squarely in the middle of the farm it makes it a little awkward when we have people visit especially large groups Mm -hmm. so I'm going to have to get rid of some of that water because I am now reducing the mm-hmm. size of the beds. So there will be times that come up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to do something called a water change where maybe either your ammonia level is spiked and you're not sure why it's spiking. It might be like your microbial level has dropped and you don't know why. As you're trying to figure out what that is, just for the sake of the fish, you need to maybe take out like 25% of the water and mm-hmm. replace it. But those are things that happen like occasionally mm-hmm. you know you don't want <laughs> you don't want that to happen there's not like a general like after five years you have to so it's not like that it's, no. no I think people who do it indoors do that just mm. because when you're indoors you have to like you have to clean it's just different when you're growing inside because growing indoors is kind of like a like a like a petri dish of sorts yeah you know? so once you get something in that's terrible you don't have the ecosystem to get rid of it, so you have to clean more. Mm. Um, when you're operating outside, it's a little different. Um, you might be like, okay, maybe I've had some like solid buildup over time because that happens to. We do do some solids filtration, but you know, after five or ten or six years, like mm-hmm. it'll build up. Like we've had the same body of water now for seven years. I think five years, six years. Um, we'll probably do. For like some cleaning, but I don't want to. <laughs> I'm just like, no, that it's like all the microbial stuff that I have built up. You know, I think some people come in and they say, oh, they see all that uh, sludge in the bottom of the tank. And they're like, that's dirty. And mm. I'm like, no, that's that's like my, my microbes at work. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, d- dirty, like dirt, exactly. farming in general. Exactly. Is a good thing, right? it's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, we need to take a break. Um, when we come back, we'll talk. We'll get more into um, the specifics of how these systems work and talk a little bit about um, where all this food you're producing is going. Yes. Um, so we'll be right back. Okay. This program is brought to you by Jewel Sous Vide. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real-life Juul user. When you cook with Juul, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Parrot app is intuitive to use and preloaded with all the recipes you'll need, and it has a great visual doneness guide. Juul is awesome for holiday cooking. It's easy to cook for a crowd and it's perfectly precise, so you can focus on entertaining without worrying about checking food temps while Juul does all the work. You can try out new cuts fearlessly. One of the best things I ever made sous vide was a juicy, tender heritage goose with juniper berries, and it was life changing. And pro tip Juul is small and packs easily, so you can sneak it along on your holiday travels to be this season's food hero everywhere you go. 
With Juul, you get perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash Juul and use code HRN, as in Heritage Radio Network, to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code HRN. And happy holidays from all of us at Team HRN. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with Yemi Amu from Oko Farms, and we've been talking all about aquaponics um, (laughs) here in Brooklyn. Um, So right before the break, we were getting um, really into water use Mm -hmm. um, and how that that all works. Um, And um, I think it's, I mean, the the interesting thing about that is you're reusing the water. So um, it made me think a lot about the, the sustainability and the environmental mm. impact of these kinds of systems. Mm. Um, so in terms of like farmed fish there, in addition to water use, there's a lot of other, um, um, issues that come up when mm. you farm fish. Um, and I mean, one big one for instance is a lot of fish farms are, um, actually in the ocean and yeah. pens, right. And the and fish can al- get out and it can affect. And also like feeding putting and feeding them feed with antibiotics in it, which is also another issue. Yeah. Right. So yeah. And so like the, the ocean, the ocean pen thing, obviously you're, you you don't need to worry about that because you're you're not, you're not um, farming in in that way. Right. Um, it's a closed pen. Um, the feed issue is Mm -hmm. one I want to ask you about. Um, I think with, um, it usually comes up in terms of larger fish like salmon where you're feeding, you're taking these tiny fish from the ocean, depleting the stock and it's, creating less protein potentially yeah. than the feed. Yeah, and it, it takes, I think, five pounds of ocean fish to get one pound of salmon, and nobody eats, like, salmon isn't eaten at one pound. Like, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. the math is really off. It's really off. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, how does, how, so how does that factor into what you do? How do you, what do you feed the mm-hmm. fish? Um, and, yeah. So, <laughs> so we raise only omnivorous fish. We don't ah. raise carnivorous fish. So carnivorous fish are fish that will only eat protein. Our fish will eat, um, have a higher, less protein needs. Um, so... Um, tilapia is one of those types mm-hmm. of fish, which makes tilapia actually an excellent fish to raise. Um, so if you're feeding um, fish feed that has like lower protein content, then you're actually using less fish meal, mm. just period, right? Um, it takes about 1.7 pounds of feed to get like one pound okay. of like tilapia or uh bluegill or like any of these like fish that we eat at like smaller sizes okay um so i use some um fish feed from a company that makes feed right here um and and then i also supplement with things like um watercress that i grow with um bugs um black soldier fly lava specifically and like a little bit of worms. I used to do a lot more worms before and then somebody told me that wasn't good because worms are really fatty Hmm. and fish don't process fat Really well, yeah. They process protein well, and interestingly enough, carbohydrates well, but not fat. So my my fish eat a, a little bit of that and algae because we have a little bit of algae that grows. So they graze on on algae. Mm. Um, they eat duckweed. They also like lettuce. <laughs> they eat the black soldier fly larva. But then I also feed the the fish the pelleted feed, which I get from a company here um, because they get fish. They get their fish meal from fish processing facilities. Mm. So they're not like going out into 
you know, they're not it's like the byproduct. kind of Yeah, thing. it's byproduct, which is great. Like I want to contribute to to that. Right. Instead of contributing to depleting the ocean. Right. Um, yeah. So our choice of fish really is. Yeah, so it seems like, that. right, you choose a, a fish that can get that ratio down as, as low as, as possible. As low as possible, yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, and what about, um, what about energy use? Is there any, like, you know, in hydroponics, sometimes there's, you know, um, just to keep a system running, you um, need electricity, mm-hmm. right? Um, does a system like yours require, I mean, you're outside, yes. so you don't have lights. We don't have lights. Right. We have the sun, which I prefer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, we do use electricity, but mm. minimal amount. We use electricity to move, um, to run our water pump. Um, but we also use gravity to move the water. So we just, we need the the pump to push water up and then gravity does the rest. Cool. So we have one pump that pushes about 10,000 gallons of water in total. Um, so we're not like having like several pumps pushing water all over the place. And then we have some air pumps. We have an air blower um, and a couple of air pumps, which the air pumps are running now because it's winter, but the pump itself isn't running because I shut it off. Because mm. um, again, we're outside, we're seasonal. I try to follow that seasonal thing so that we're not running pump, you know, the pump year round. Right. It's only about like, I'm running the pump from like April through November, mid-November, something like that. Um, and then the air blower, and they use really minimal amounts of electricity. The air blower, I use really only in the summer. Hmm. Yeah. And and so and then the water, you know, and it's funny, we talked a lot about the how I think for you water use is a big thing it and is. um uh, we talked a lot about how you're not throwing the water out mm-hmm. because you have this awesome um, recirculating system, but also you're not watering the plants right? exactly the, so all <laughs> That's of the, the best part right um, <laughs> like i don't have to worry about watering um because especially in august oh my god in like july and august when i was doing soil farming my god <laughs> yeah so they're just like those plants are their roots are in the water, water. they're just basically continuously hydrated yeah, exactly <laughs> that's exactly. what i need in august in new exactly. york city right just be like <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah they're constantly hydrated and then they're also getting nutrients like so mm. the only input on my end is the fish feed mm. you know um i try to limit putting anything and the water, that's not fish feed. Mm. Because, again, once I put it in, if it becomes problematic, I can't get it out yeah. without draining the water. Which, again, I have 10,000 gallons of water. I right. do not. <laughs> that's not the, you know, it's just, it's irresponsible for me to, like, be like, okay, I'm just going to, like, empty all this out and, and start again. Right. And it also affects the the um, ecosystem when you do that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really interesting. I mean, it's it's a, a really uh, a system that it's just so thoughtful, right? The whole pro- like you said, the sort of like circulation mm-hmm. idea is just seems like um, you're the, the idea of reusing, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, and minimizing inputs is yeah. obviously what all farmers are trying to do exactly. because inputs are expensive um, and exactly. usually require more resources. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think? Um, more there isn't more commercial aquaponic production like you don't really hear about that a lot honestly I I think that because people are still figuring it out um, I mean it's this ancient way of food production but it's new for us Mm. and we're kind of repackaging it differently Um, 
I think that I don't. I think in a lot of ways, hydroponics wins out for people because you don't have to deal with the animal piece. And you can just like add your nutrients and keep it moving, mm. I think. I don't really know. Like slightly more efficient, maybe? I don't, I would not say that it's more mm. efficient, but I would say it's easier. Right. Because you're not concerned with balancing an ecosystem. Right. Right? You can just, there's an aspect of it where you don't have to think about being, I mean, sustainability to me once you get to like doing commercial hydroponics sustainability is not an issue because you're adding um petroleum-based nutrients you're using lights you're using there's a lot of inputs like you're pumping Mm -hmm. carbon dioxide there's just a huge energy use but i think that when people do the num when people do the numbers especially when you have investors to answer to it's so much easier to just like Mm -hmm. go that route but i met someone who told me i'm not sure how i'm not sure how true it is but he said to me that from an economic perspective the bigger you go with hydroponics the more expensive it becomes and that it's actually cheaper on a large scale to do aquaponics than it is to do hydroponics um, Interesting. I've, I don't know yeah, if that's I, true. We'd have to I don't look know. into it. Yeah. But he said in his experience, um, this, he was actually a gentleman who uh, is a warden at a prison in Texas mm. and does both hydroponics and aquaponics um, in the prison with the inmates. Huh. And he said that they made the decision to go. So cool, man. They do like all of this stuff and grow all this food with just materials that they pick up in the prison, which is amazing. Um, And they decided that it made more sense to go aquaponics and that with aquaponics, they were able to grow enough food um, um, to feed the inmates. I think they're like 5,000 people and even some neighboring centers cheaper than it was to do it hydroponically. Hmm. Well, I wonder if part of that is like, especially if you're producing it for a particular population of people right there, the idea that you can produce protein exactly is really compelling. Yeah. And and he said the buying of the nutrients all the time becomes expensive. Mm. With aquaponics, you don't necessarily have to harvest all your fish. Right. Mm. You can have some fish that are for harvesting and some fish that are there as nutrient generators, which is what I do. So the coin fish are there to just poop. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're just part of the system. They're just part of the system. And then the edible fish come in and go. Um, And then if you're supplementing feed with other things or or even growing your own feed, I think maybe in some ways. I I don't know. I don't really... um, a lot of my work is about teaching people how to do things sustainably. Mm. And I think when you start getting to the commercial aspect, you start making compromises. Yeah. Well, so actually that, that um, leads me to um, another question I wanted to ask you, which is um, where are you selling the food that you produce? Um, or yeah, tell, talk a little <coughs> so bit about we, that. I, I used to do, I used to focus more on selling. Now I, because I'm growing a wide variety of stuff, we don't grow like a lot of one thing, mm-hmm. um, but we do sell to the community. Um, we also sell to um, like chefs and um, I've been selling to Brooklyn supported agriculture. Um, and then I do farm to table dinners as well. And then also a lot of the produce goes into classes in workshops and classes. Mm. Um, classes and, and workshops that you have on the farm? Yeah, on and off the farm. Okay. Um, so I'm doing a culinary um, class with herbs from the farm that I've dried. So we're going to be making like herbal seasoning blends and like dry soup mixes and like tea blends, like your own, 
uh, custom tea blends, and we're going to be doing that at Prime Produce um, on December 18th. So doing a lot of that stuff, both on the farm and off the farm, um, because that's my background, right? I like the connecting the culinary, the aspect, culinary right? aspects and yeah. nutrition and too. nutrition. It's a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. So um, I kind of envision doing more of that going forward where w- when you come for tours, you also get that like eating component mm. right now when when we have school groups i get them to taste stuff and to smell stuff we're going to start doing more of the cooking as part of the tour before we used to have it be something t- separate where you can either go with a cooking workshop or you could go with a tour i want to bring those two things together yeah yeah so uh, part of the tour experience is to eat right cook and eat together yeah yeah that sounds great and then are you also teaching people aquaponics like are you training people to farm this way absolutely um so i have um an apprenticeship program where people kind of just stay work with me for seven months on the farm to learn aquaponics um and i also do workshops i collaborate with um ag tech x which is like a company that I wish I could. So I, I take X. Okay, they're co-working space oh. for urban farmers. I think I said that right. Okay. <laughs> and they have an office not far from us. Um, and they've just been an incredible partner. So I do um, workshops with them where we're like introduction to aquaponics, DIY aquaponics build, that kind of stuff for people who don't have seven months of their lives mm-hmm. <laughs> to invest in aquaponics. Um, going forward, I would like to see our apprenticeship program become more of like an entrepreneurship kind of thing. Mm. Um, So I have my trainee from this year who's actually been working with me. So we're designing systems together and we're installing systems together, which is great. Mm. Um, Going forward, I want to see more of more of that happening. My trainees from the first year I did the program are actually working with me on my nonprofit um, so they're like board members of my nonprofit and we're trying to like get things going. Um, and we've been talking a lot about like, what does it look like to create jobs um, and trying to figure that out? Like, how do we get more people who have skills for aquaponics mm. so that as there's more demand and people want to start systems, we have people who have the skills and knowledge to do it. But then how do we also empower those people to also become entrepreneurs and maybe start their own farms and like who are the partners that we should have to make that happen Mm. um the is the nonprofit related to ogo farms or is that different yes it is related to ogo farms um the way that we're looking at it right now is that the nonprofit will do all of the education stuff got it um and then the for-profit will be focused on installations okay that's kind of the way that we're looking at it <laughs> right now right um because education and awareness is just such a fundamental part of why i do this work mm. and when you say insulation so is your vision for the future of aquaponics at least f- from like the perspective that you're working in it is it about putting more of these systems sort of installing them in like schools and homes and like small community spaces rather than growing like big commercial aquaponics. Exactly. That's how I see it. It, It's, it's getting them in schools because they're such a great tool for teaching. Mm. Um, And it's, you can bring it into the classroom for schools who don't have garden spaces. Um, And then for community centers, for food pantries, you know, like why can't you grow fish and provide healthy source of protein for your clients and also have like vegetables, you know, food pantries, community centers, 
hospitals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that's how I see it is to like bring food to people where they are, Mm. you know, because I started like literally growing food where people lived. Yeah. So that's really what I want to do. And then also like support people who want to do it commercially too. Part of why I grow such a wide variety of things is so that people know what their options are, right? Right. So if I'm working with somebody who's like in the Dominican Republic or who is in Nigeria where I'm from, maybe they don't just want to grow lettuce. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe they want to grow tubers. Maybe they want to do onions. You know, like how do I support them? How do I be a resource for people who also want to do aquaponics in their own communities, whether it's commercial, whether it's just like at their schools or community centers? How do I become a resource for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, unfortunately, that's all the time that we have. The time flew um, by so yeah. fast. <laughs> I can't wait to um, come visit the farm and see it in action. You um, should. And can can anyone come visit? I think you mentioned that you do tours. Yeah, anyone can come visit. You just go on our, our website and sign up. We're still working. Well, tours are closed now because we're outdoors. Right. <laughs> and it's, I think, 32 yeah. degrees today. I, so. I have to explain that to people all the time. Because yeah. when I say where I don't think they get their thing because you're aquaponics you're inside and mm. I have to be like no we're outside and it's freezing <laughs> now, I don't want to be standing outside in the cold and neither do you yeah. <laughs> nope. so, so tours start again um, in April great yeah when the weather is great and they'll go through the year and then we're working on getting a new site you know and maybe in the new site we'll have space for a greenhouse and then we can do tours year round perfect yeah. <laughs> great well thank you so much for being here thank you for having me appreciate it And thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.